Okay, so with that in mind, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. When I say with that in mind, I mean everything that we were just singing about. Um, we go to Philippians 4, and uh, you know, last summer we did a... We do topical small groups. We did, uh, for the first time, we did one on marriage. It was the first thing that we've done where the husbands and the wives went together. Uh, we do something each month for the husbands and for the wives. First thing that we did, they were together. Uh, and uh, a lot of our couples were a part of that. We're doing it again this summer. The content's different, but the, uh, kind of the goal is the same. And um, That sort of morphed into a sermon series uh, because... Uh, I just sensed that the Lord was kind of just bringing us to the point where He said, you know, the whole church needs to hear this stuff. Um, because uh, the married people need to be, they need to be in a small group together like that, like in the summer setting, and they need to, to be in, encouraged and challenged and shared and all that kind of stuff. But then there's a, it's di- different when it comes corporately in a sermon form. It's really felt that, that the married couples needed that, that teaching, that challenge, that encouragement, that all that stuff, to figure out how to navigate your way through being married in this day and age. And the unmarried people in our church needed to hear that stuff too. Um, because the unmarried people in our church, we, we needed to know how to help support and pray for and encourage uh, our married friends and stuff like that. And so, um, and so that, that's sort of where, where things went for a couple weeks last summer. And um, what I want to do tonight is, is very similar except from a different angle. I want to talk to the single people in the room uh, because I feel like the single people, uh, the unmarried people in our uh, church need to hear some things, need to be encouraged, need to be challenged. Um, need, there are just some things that need to be said. And, uh, and what, that needs to happen. And at the same time, we need the married people to listen. We need the married people to listen to the things that are being said and, and what we're like all that stuff, the things that the scripture has, has to say. And we need you to know how to encourage us and to pray for us and to challenge us and all that stuff. Okay? So that's what we're going to do tonight. It'll be a one-time deal. Um, and there's, I have a lot to say. And I say all this, if you don't know me, I'm unmarried. Uh, so I say all this as a 35-year-old unmarried dude. Okay? So uh, if you are unmarried, then I can get away with saying some things because, because of that. And I've asked Jesus to help me to do a couple of things tonight. One of, the, one of them is to not be, like, so sarcastic that, uh, yeah, that that happens. Uh, and so I even have a list in my head of things not to say. I came really close to writing it down, but then I got worried that it might, like, I might leave it up here and somebody might see it, and then I have to issue an apology and all that, and I've done enough of that lately. So, uh, so that's what, uh, so I have some things to say, and I'm not saying any of this stuff as one who cannot relate, okay? Uh, so... Uh, that's where we're going. Single people listen. Married people listen. If you're in a, some obscure category you listen to, uh, that'll, be, that'll be fine. Now, we're going to get to Philippians in a little while. There's just some stuff I need to say. All right. It feels like sometimes uh, like there are two camps, all right? And I'm addressing singleness at, like, as a pastor of this church, all right? Not singleness as a concept or anything like that. I'm not prepping to go to a singles conference where I'm a guest speaker or anything like that. This is just like just for us. Based on things I've seen and heard and sensed and just, just a part of living in the community or whatever. It's, it, feels, it feels like sometimes like there's two camps. Like there's the single camp and there's the married camp. Okay? So this, in the single camp, uh, there's a single camp and then there, the single camp has like, like an annex. You know? Like a little camp, little camp, camp ito type thing. That's like kind of a little like side camp. And those are for the, that's where the dating people are. Uh, and because the, the dating people are not, they're not in the married camp, but, but they only want their own camp. And so they, they're like, we, we don't want to be, we're not single. You are single, but we're not single. And so, so that's kind of how that is. And then there's the married camp and the married camp has, they have their own little annex, which is like the engaged people. All right. And, um, and even though the dating people are not married, sometimes they like to act married. And, uh, in case you haven't heard, I'm against that. Uh, and so that's not, that's not good. And so we're trying to get the dating people to not act like they're married. And we're trying to get the married people to not treat the dating people like they're married. Okay? We need you to stop doing that. 
Okay? And if you want examples, it's on my list of things not to say. Uh, but I have examples, and if you want to go toe-to-toe on it, whatever, I'm ready. So, uh, so, um, so you kind of have these two camps with their little um, annexes or whatever. In the single camp, there is this unspoken agenda. And it is to leave the camp and go to the other camp. Tell me I'm wrong, okay? All right. This unspoken agenda that, like, you know, like, you want to go, you want to go from the camp to the annex to the other annex to the other camp. Like, that's, that's what wants to go. And very few people, like, say it out loud or anything like that. Um, but the longer you're in the single camp, the less unspoken that agenda becomes. And it becomes something that people verbalize and whatever, it just becomes very apparent. And, and with, with that being said, like that unspoken agenda to want to, to leave the single camp and be in the married camp, uh, that, that comes from, from a very good place. That, that desire, okay, the desire... To go to the other camp comes from a good place. God has made us in His image, um, and being a part of being made in His image, uh, He is Father, Son, Spirit. He's three in one. God is a community, and so He's given us this. Uh, he's just wired us together with this desire to have those close connections with people, because that's that looks like Him. He is intimately connected, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's there's a relationship there that we are called to, and we're put together to reflect that. And so, and so that is a good thing, and we desire that. And so, um, so God says in the beginning of the Bible, it's not good for a man to be alone. So he has put us in relationships with people so that we could look more like him. And for, uh, for the majority of people, uh, those relationships, like the relationships that he's placed us in, uh, there's one of those relationships that oftentimes becomes uh, a marriage relationship. And so he's put us in community together. He's put us in churches to have those deep connections with people. And like I said, for most, most people, there's somebody else in there, and he puts you together, and you uh, become husband and wife, and you move to the other camp. Now, not everybody goes down that road. And that's fine, because God did not put us... Um, he didn't wire us up in such a way where every person has to be married. So it's not good for a man to be alone. So he's put us in relationships together um, for those connections to be made. And so that desire for single people to want to, be, to move to the other camp, the desire is it's good. It comes from a good place. But somewhere along the way, sometimes for single folks, the desire becomes an agenda. And those are very different. When a God-given desire becomes an agenda, it goes from being like very healthy and, and how God made you to being something unhealthy that rules you and dominates you. Now, there's, I think there's a couple of things that cause that shift to happen. Now, please hear me out. I, every person who's single is not miserable. And that's, that's good. So I don't want this to come across as like, if you're single, I'm sure you're miserable, so let me help you through it. That's not it at all. Okay? But in our... Like in the deep south, especially um, when you are unmarried or you are not dating or whatever, when you're in like when you're in the single camp, uh, there are there are certain like pressures and things that come along that make it difficult for that desire to not become an agenda. And so, if you're in a place and you're like, you're single and stuff like that, and you're you're down with it, then I, don't let me trip you up. I don't want you to think that everybody's like that. But for a lot of us, it's we, we come and go through times where we're okay with it, and other times where we're in, it just, just gets difficult. And so I was really just asking the Lord, okay, help. I mean, I could list a million reasons why. I was like, just give me, give me, give me three, you know. Because three is the holy number, right? So, uh, and, and it was tough to think of three, but let me give you three real quick. Um, one of, the, one of the, the influences that comes in and makes that desire into an agenda, it makes it become something unhealthy, uh, a lot of time, it's it's just it's the other relationships that we have, and some of you have family members who are who are awesome, 
And, you know, like, I mean, my family is very, very supportive of me and everything. And so uh, there are times when, when I hear what some single people's families tell them, I'm, it destroys me for, for that person. Sometimes I want to say, are you sure that your mother told you that? And you're not quoting, like, Mean Girls or something. Like, this is, this is your mom that told you this. These are your siblings that are giving you such a hard time about stuff or whatever. Sometimes those family pressures are just ridiculously difficult to bear because your family's voice, is a, it's a loud voice. I mean, even people who hate their parents still want to please their parents. It's really it's just this weird deal. Something about your family. So for some of you, uh, it's family. For some of you, it's friends. Some of you have awesome friends who, like, would never think of, like, would never be like, it's my single friend Josh, you know, like, just Josh, you know, like, just normal, normal person. They don't, att- they don't label you, like, based on your, like, Facebook relationship status or whatever. It's not part of your identity. But some friends, it almost is. You, we, sometimes you have friends who are, like, they're just like, you just need to put yourself out there. You just need to ask somebody out. You just need to, do whatever. And they just have all this terrible advice that's also on my list of things to be careful. I have, like, a don't say it list and, like, a be careful, tread lightly list. Uh, but there's, like, just sometimes friends, they just say the dumbest stuff. And they, like, mean well and all that kind of stuff and whatever, but I don't know. But those, it's difficult. And so sometimes that is what helps drive us from, uh, from being in a good place to being in a not good place. Uh, the, the second thing is, is just, <laughs> it's just difficult. And I think I, I would just describe this as, like, uh, all forms of, like, media and entertainment. Because... Uh, the movies and the TV shows and the books and the magazines and all that kind of stuff that we are a part of as a culture, they are full of lies to us. They are full of false narratives, if you want to get in with the good and beautiful God terminology. They lie to us constantly. But we don't like to think, that, we don't like to think about it in those terms, you know, because it's supposed to be fun, right? Going to the movie is supposed to be fun, Having a girls' night watching a bunch of romantic comedy is supposed, supposed to be fun, right? Okay, it's fun. Sometimes the most fun things we have uh, are the things that are destroying us the most. And those forms of entertainment, a lot of times they're, they're setting up, like, they're, they're telling us two big lies, okay? One of the lies they're doing is they're, they're creating, like, this, these completely, like, wrong expectations that we're supposed to have. For love and intimacy and relationship and all that kind of stuff. So, so they create these false expectations. Okay? The other side of the, of the coin is, the lie is like, look, look at what you're missing out on because you're single. Look what you're missing out on. Look how great this must be. And we continually ingest this stuff. I know like... A, like like, guys get, like, a lot of times people feel like single guys, like, they're, they're guys and they compartmentalize and they never, never have issues with singleness or whatever. But that's, that's not true. And so there's a lot of guys who really wrestle with that. And, and the, the typical, like, sh- like, source of struggle when it comes to entertainment and media, entertainment and media for guys, like, it's going to be issues that, like, pertain to lust. And that's exactly what, that's what, like, Pornography and all these like all these websites, all this, all this like ridiculousness. That's what it does. It does those two things. It creates completely false expectations about what intimacy is all about. And then it says, "Look what you're missing out on because you're single." And I know, like, like it's just it's something like we we need to talk about. And I'm not going to talk about it all night, so don't you know, don't get freaked out. But it needs to be addressed. We need to have open dialogue about it. It needs to stop being. It needs to be like called for exactly what it is. It's lying to you. And sometimes I feel like, like we put so much emphasis on the, like, what the effect that that has on the guys that we forget the fact that just as damaging to girls are romantic comedies and uh, TV shows and movies and magazines that it's doing the same stuff. So you sit around and you watch some like Katherine Heigl movie or Sex in the City or something like that, and it creates false expectations, and it says, look what you're missing out on um, because you're single or because you're not willing to be promiscuous and all that kind of stuff. Look at, look at what you're missing out on. And, and very few like, people who are single would admit the fact that they're buying into those two things. 
there's that part of you in the back of your mind that's just like, I do kind of feel like time is slipping away and I'm missing out on a lot of stuff. And so, just as damaging as pornography to guys can be all that stuff to girls. And whenever those, when, when wrong expectations and look at what you're missing out on, when that's something that is coming from every movie and TV show and everything that we see and it's just constantly there, constantly there, constantly there, that desire to change camps becomes an agenda and it, 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 it affects us, it does. And the third thing I think is, would be comparison, you know. I think we compare ourselves to each other and you kind of, like you start to look around and be like, everybody, what's everybody my age doing or whatever? And you're like, man, everybody my age is they're starting to date and they're starting to get married and this and this and this. And you start kind of bugging out a little bit. And then people younger than you, you know, people way younger than you. I mean, my, like one of my closest friends on the planet is Jake Rush. He, um, he and I went to kindergarten together, graduated from high school together. We're the same age. Um, he uh, and Chris just had just made 10 marriage. Ten years of marital bliss, uh, and they have uh, they have three awesome kids. Now, do you think that the enemy ever tries to get me to compare my life to Jake's and be like, "Golly, what's you're losing some ground here"? Sure. And so, whether it's family and friends, or whether it's entertainment and all those false narratives, or it's just the comparison game, or all there's so many other things. What happens is that good desire that we have to be connected to somebody else like that to the good desire to like be married and to all that kind of stuff, whatever, it it shifts and it becomes an agenda. And we start to think, if I could just get married, my family would back off of me. My friends would quit trying to set me up all the time. I wouldn't feel like I'm missing out on all this awesome stuff. I'd be able to find out if expectations are wrong or not. I'd like to just know for myself. I feel like I was measuring up, like I was, like my life would look like I thought it would look at this age. If I could just get married, if I could just change camps. That what I just described is idolatry. We start to look and we say, if only I had this, or if only my life looked like this, then everything else would be okay. It's idolatry. When a, something that is good stops playing the role that God designed for it to play and it starts to become more than it's supposed to to us, we begin to covet what other people have and it just runs like that. I could just change camps. So, so what do we do? Okay? Before, before we look at Philippians, which we will do, I need to say something very important. And this might be the second most important thing I say tonight. Um, everybody needs to listen. Um, there's only one camp. This church, there's only one camp. There's no singles camp, no married camp, no annexes, one camp. The reason I split them up is to show how absurd it is, but that's, and I even said it at the beginning, I said it feels like there's two camps. It might feel like that sometimes, but your feelings don't, tell you the truth all the time, do they? Sometimes I feel that way, but that's not true. Sometimes we might, like there might, people might even act that way. There may even be like times when it seems like people's actions are, are communicating the fact that we're separate. But even if, if actions were to do that, that's, that's not the case. I mean, there are times when within the camp, we call all the wives together and they have a time to like be together and for there to be discipleship there or whatever, and they go back into the camp and we call the husbands together and you know once a year they have a Christmas party and they exchange ornaments and it sounds awesome to me. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that there are two camps. One camp. That's why we don't we don't break up our small groups based on where you are in life and if you're in a relationship or not. That's why the elders have zero plans to ever start a singles ministry. I try to not say we're never going to do this, because what if God says to you, we'll do it. But at this point, it's not on our radar. 
Because as far when we look at the full scope of the of the, the church's ministry at, at the ring, uh, like everything that single people need, they should be getting if they are fully invested in what there is to offer. Um, and so the only times we we gather people together is when there's some specialized things that are needed. So our kids get together, our youth get together, our college students get together, husbands, wives, you know, some of those kinds of things. But but if you there is no box to check if you want to be in a small group. But are you single or married? Okay, that determines where you go. It's not, it's not like that, and it's not going to be like that, because there's just one camp. We all learn from each other. Now, that's the second most important thing I can say now. I think the first important, most important thing I can say now is this. In, within the one camp, there, there is one agenda, and it is, it is Jesus. It's just Jesus. And it's not an, an unhealthy agenda. It's the right kind of agenda. Like that, that is what we are going for. So the goal of the camp is Jesus, to know him and love him and trust him and rely on him, depend on him fully, to glorify him, to honor him, to, to look to him, to, to know his, his heart, to be transformed and to, to look like him and to treat people like he did and to treat each other like, like he has treated us and and, and all these kind of things for him to change us over time to look like him more and more and more and more. And then one day we get to like, go and be with him. And he, we get to see him face to face. And he gets to reward us. And then we get to go into the new heaven and new earth. We get to live with him. And we get to reign with him forever. Like That's the agenda of the camp. It's not to get married. It's not to, to have kids. It's not to have a lot of money. It's not to live in a certain place. It's not to have a certain kind of job. It's not to have... Anything out there that is even close to the American dream, it's not any of that stuff that the world tries to say. Like, our only agenda is Jesus Christ. That's completely it. And so that's, that's what we're going to keep pushing for. And so if the question is, how do you navigate through being single, the bottom line answer is Jesus. Trust Him with your life. How do I navigate through being married? Jesus. Trust Him with your life. Everything that you could possibly bring, like that's going to be the big picture answer. What we try to figure out is, it's going to be Jesus. And that's going to look differently to everybody, but it's going to be Jesus all the time. Okay? It's, like, it's like if we gave everybody in this room like this poem, and it described everything I just ran and on just about or whatever, about one camp, one agenda, all that kind of stuff. We gave everybody a poem. We said, you take this home and you write a song. You take this poem turn it into a song. Every tune, every melody, everything that we do, will be, it would be different. But the text, what it communicates, what it's all about, would all be the same. Okay? That's what happens in this camp. Same, like, same truth that just shows up differently for all of us. Okay? One camp, one thing we're going for, it's going to be Jesus. So, within our camp, we have people who are married and people who are not married. All right? So, let me talk to the unmarried people. And married people, you need to listen. Hopefully, you have been listening to. Let's look at Philippians 4. Um, as you can say, I, I, you can tell I have a lot to say. And we're on to page 2, so that's good, right? I don't usually have notes. Definitely not nearly that much. But uh, Okay, so in Philippians 4, uh, this is the, uh, each month our elders take a passage. Uh, we started this this year. Um, uh, we've been doing Paul's prayers and his letters and stuff, and we pray that for our for this church over the course of the month. Um, this is the passage that we're doing this month, and uh, and I think that within here there are some incredibly solid truths to help the unmarried people in our camp, and some things for the married people to know that this is this is what we need from you. Okay? We, don't need, we don't need your, um, your role in our lives to contribute to the pressures that we feel from people and the pressures from entertainment and media and the pressures from comparison and all the other things we could think. We need your role with us to, to look like this, just like you need our role with you to look like this. All of our roles, since we're one camp and we have only one agenda, let's all be on the same page, and this is what it needs to look like. So look at verse 4. Um. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, sometimes uh, people who are, are struggling, you're in that time when you're struggling with singleness and you're, you're just not real happy with where your life looks right now or whatever. People will say, 
You just need, you just need to be, you need to find some joy in your singleness. You need to be content in your singleness. And honestly, that, your first reaction is you just want to like punch them. Because that sounds so right, but it's missing the point. Because Paul doesn't say rejoice in your relationship status. Rejoice in your bank account or anything else. He says rejoice in the Lord. So I'll say it again. Rejoice. Um, when he says rejoice in the Lord, what that is kind of telling us is that the Lord is the, he's the object of our joy and he's the source of our joy. Okay? Rejoice in the in the Lord as, as an object, like He's the one we're rejoicing in, but also rejoice in the Lord in an abiding kind of way, in a dependence kind of way. Rejoice in Him. Settle into Him. Let Him be the source. So he's the, he's the object and He's the source of joy. There are a lot of people who are joyless. And that's probably because they um, are not... Like the Lord is not the source and object of their joy. It's something else. Now for single people, there's plenty of, of single folks who, like if you, like they might be fine and stuff like that, whatever, but you get them talking about singleness, and that, you just watch joy just vanish away from them. And I think because it's so easy to look to a relationship as the source and the object of joy instead of the Lord. And we, we know people who do that. Like, like, there's, you know, some couple will start dating, and they just, they find all of their joy in one another, as object and as source. And it's all about each other, all about each other, all about each other. And then, like, they break up, or one of them just is not as into it anymore, or whatever. And the wheels just come off. And, and they, just, they just become distraught, you know. They aren't sure what to do. And so... Like, what, what is happening is it's very obvious. They've been looking to that person, and all of a sudden that person is not that person anymore. And now they don't, aren't sure what the object or source of their joy is. And so, it's really a push away from idolatry. To push away from looking to, like, people or anything else, like anything as a source of joy. And so for simple folks who are wrestling with it, maybe a part of why you're wrestling is because you're putting way too much emphasis on that part of life. When the Bible deals so much with, uh, it's like, it's Jesus as the agenda. Like that's, Jesus is the hero of the story, and we're supposed to be all about him. So if we're looking to anything else for joy, you're going to be sad. I don't just mean emotionally sad. I mean like empty sad. And so the question I think for some, like if you're single and you're wrestling with some of this stuff, just really do a gut check and say, where, where am I looking for joy? What's the object of my joy? What's the source of my joy? And we'll, we'll all find that if it's not Jesus, um, we're going to come up empty because the joy that's produced um, in all these other places, if, if that is the primary source and object, it's, it's going to be uh, counterfeit and it's going to run out. There's a big difference between, between Jesus using um, a married couple's relationship with each other to bring them joy and a couple looking to each other for joy. Two different things. Couples who are centered in Christ, they know that, 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 that their spouse is a gift. And that points them ultimately back to Jesus as the giver and as the object of that. When we lose, when we, we fail to see the difference between those two things, when Jesus as object and source and someone else, then, then things get so out of whack. And so if you are single and if you are miserable about it, Maybe it's a joy issue. Maybe you're letting that relationship just carry too much weight. And if you're married and you're in this room and, you, and you're talking with someone and they're, they're just being honest about where they are with things, then you need to be asking the questions that pertain to the Scriptures, redirecting them and saying, all right, well, let's, let's talk about joy. Like, why are, you, why are you so bummed out because you're not in a relationship? We need you guys to bring us back to this kind of truth. Single people, our relationships with each other, we need to be 
redirecting each other to this kind of truth and not feeding the problem. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Then, uh, verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Your reasonableness, I mean, every Bible translation you read is going to say something different here. Um, one explanation I saw is that this is, this is like, this is going beyond, like, justice. So, uh, in the New Testament, you see the woman, the woman caught in adultery, and they're like, you know, the law says we should stone her, and they ask Jesus, what should, what should we do? Should we kill her or not? And Jesus knows that the, that's what the law says. But he goes beyond the law. He recognizes the fact that this group of people and this woman, they need something greater than what the letter of the law would determine should happen here. And so he used that moment to teach and to show mercy and to challenge everybody. He, it's looking, looking beyond where, like where the, the rules are to consider what's best for all the people. Um, one translation says, instead of reasonableness, says, let your big-heartedness be seen by everyone. Let the fact that you that that you consider like the big picture, you look at, at the big picture needs, you consider the needs of the community ahead of yourself, like your just big heartedness, let that be known and seen to everybody. I think when when you are single, you have an opportunity to serve the community in a way that's different than when you're married. In a way that's different than when you're married with kids that are young, in a way that's different than when your kids grow up, and when it's different when they're out of the house and all that kind of stuff. As you go through life, you're, the, the freedom that you have to go and to serve it just changes as the different stages of life continue. And so when you are single, you, like, you don't have to ask anybody. You don't have to like, check with the spouse. You don't have to like, run it by and see if the kids have soccer this week or dance or anything like that. Something's on that bulletin says, we need somebody to go do this. You have the opportunity to basically check your own schedule and see if you can do it. And then if you can, to do it. I think that's another thing for, for single folks to realize is that like, to let your big-heartedness be seen by everybody is, is to take advantage of the time while you are single. To use it to serve people, to be there for people. To offer to babysit people with kids so they can have a date night, you know. To sign up to go pick up our friends from Mason Day and Me. I mean, every week we're begging people to do it. Can't get anybody to do it. To go and to do those things. When you're single, you can go and do global missions. So much more easily than when you're married and have kids and all that kind of stuff. So go and do that stuff. Serve globally. Serve locally. It doesn't really matter. And it says, the Lord is at hand. What he's telling me, he's literally talking about the second coming of Jesus. Okay, now, This was a long time ago. He's saying, let your big heartedness be known to everybody because Jesus is coming. And I know he's not just talking to single people here, but I'm just talking to single people here. We can't waste our singleness. We can't. I have a missionary friend at the bottom of all his emails. He says, daylight's burning. Jesus is coming back. We cannot sit around and pout because we're not married. We cannot sit around and pout because our lives don't look the way we thought they might. This is for everybody. We cannot sit around and be like, oh, well, I'm not, I don't have the job I want yet, or I don't have the, I'm not making enough money, or my life doesn't look, or I want to live a certain place and want to drive a certain thing. Forget all that stuff. Instead, seek the kingdom because the Lord is at hand. And so if you're single, take advantage of it. And I've got to say this. Single people in this church, like they are the backbone that gets things done. And, and I, I dig it. And a lot of our single folks really understand that. Because when we call for volunteers for stuff, they are stepping to the plate all the time. That's not, nothing against the married folks or whatever. It's a compliment to our single people that, that you guys, like you jump in there and you help us get things done. And it is awesome. You're letting your big heartedness be seen by everybody. We, we need everybody to be on board with that. To pursue that and to see singleness as an opportunity that it is. And also, married people, this does not let you off the hook. We need you to do stuff too. And you do. And it's awesome. And yes, I am a little aggravated 
about Mason Day and me, because for some reason we can't get people to sign up to do it. So please, please sign up to do it. It's awesome. Okay. Um, look at the next one. Uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right? Um, now this verse it has so much in it. All right? Don't be anxious about anything. I know, I understand how it is. For um, when those pressures build, for single people to get anxious about the fact that you're single. Like I said, all that comparison, all those other kind of things, those things build up, and it's, it's easy for there to be anxiety and for there to be worry. We all know it's dumb. We all know we have nothing to be worried about, but we still worry. Like I said a few weeks ago, I heard a sermon that talked about how anxiety in the mind, no, I'm sorry, anxiety in the body comes from fear in the mind. So when we're afraid of something in our minds, it produces this worry and this, we start to fret. And so those fears, a lot of times with single people, is that you're afraid that you're going to be single forever. Or that all your friends, are, they're all going to get married and they're all going to like move away and you're going to be alone. There's all these, all these lies, all these lies, all these lies that pile up and there's anxiety comes. And so the way that you like, deal with this, I mean, Paul, I just love him because he just says like it is, like, uh, don't be anxious about anything, but uh, pray about everything. The way that you deal with anxiety is through prayer. And, and one of the things I read, like it, it worded this way, instead of prayer, it really it took prayer and supplication, and thanksgiving, and like put all those together as like how you entrust yourself to the Lord. And I like thinking about it that way, that um, instead of being anxious about something or anything, you intentionally entrust yourself to the Lord. And you entrust yourself in those three ways, by praying, and there's supplication, which is about supply, and then there's thanksgiving. Okay? Now, I think that, like to me, I think that prayer, I have a very like, broad understanding of what prayer is. Because I think prayer is just abiding. I think it's, so I think you can, you can pray through words, I think you can pray through actions. I think it's all about just telling God exactly where you are. But when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he, he said, pray like this. And it was a, he described a conversation. He described it with words. So I think in this, in this context, it's the best way to apply it. I think in this sense, when it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, I think he's saying, like, speak to the Lord. Take the thing that you're anxious about and speak to the Lord about it. And there's so many believers who do not pray for the things that they're anxious about. They don't pray for themselves. They pray for, pray for sick relatives. They pray for you know, um, things that are going on. They pray for whatever. They pray for others. Um, may, maybe even pray about some stuff coming up. I'm going to make a decision about this or whatever. But, but don't dig into their own lives and really pray like, Lord, I'm freaking out about this. I think he's really saying, just talk to the Lord about it. Be honest with the Lord about it. John Piper says that, that prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. So if your intentional message to God is, God, I'm freaking out, God's okay with that. You're not praying incorrectly, you're praying correctly. And so maybe, maybe you, ha- you get off the phone with a family member or somebody, and that's all this, like, it's just really messed with you, and you begin to pray, and you say, Lord, that conversation was so damaging to me. And I have this anxiety that comes from this fear that, I'm, that I'll be alone, and... And, I, and I'm not sure where to go with it. I know it's not true, but my emotions are just running all over the place. You just tell him. You just tell him. And so there's prayer. You convey that to the Lord. Then there's supplication. And so just think supply. So you go into supply mode. and you that, this, is, this is when all of our theology and everything we believe about God starts to come together and make sense. Because this that's the point where you're like, okay, I either believe that God is sovereign or I don't. I either believe that He's good or, or, I, or I don't. I either believe that, that He is omniscient 
and that his, like he is outside of time, and all the things that we, we talked about, that he is eternal, and he's, I either believe that stuff or I don't believe that stuff. And so when you pray and you, and you, you just, like, just, just tell him everything. But I think supplication is when you're like, okay, but this is what I know is true. This is who I know you are. This is what I know to be important. In prayer, say, my parents just want me to get married. Supplication, I know that you supply me with all I need. My agenda is not to get married. My agenda is you. To love you, to trust you, to obey you. Because you are good and you do good. I trust you to supply all that I need. And then you move to Thanksgiving. You say, thank you, Lord, that I'm not sitting here incomplete because I'm not in a relationship. Thank you that the movies that I watch, the things that I see and the things that I hear, all those lies are not true. They do not in one way reflect what is real about me what is real about you. Pray. You tell Him where, where you are with things. And you trust Him to supply and to be Himself. And you thank Him. That's how you process through that stuff. You don't pick up the phone and call somebody who's in the same boat and feed each other's problem. You don't run to someone who's going to give you bad advice. You run to Jesus. And if Jesus has you talk to a person, you go to somebody who you know is not going to put up with the bull that a lot of times we're so good at feeding each other. Someone who's going to say, have you prayed about this? Why not? Let's pray. Someone who's going to say, where is the lie that you are believing? And they're going to help you find it. They're going to help you rip it out and replace it with what is true. And they're going to lead you to Christ. They're going to help they're going to be used by the Lord to lead you down paths of righteousness for His namesake. That's, that's what need, the camp relationship needs to look like. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, entrust yourself to the Lord. Because He is trustworthy. He's the object and the source of our joy. And this is what happens in the next verse. And the, God of, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's this notoriously bad piece of advice that's given to people when they start to date. And it sounds so pious when they say, just make sure, make sure you guard your heart. That, that verse says that Jesus Christ is the one that guards my heart and my mind. Why would I try and guard my heart? That's terrible advice. You don't guard your heart. Jesus does. The one who created the world. The one who spoke it into existence and holds it all together. The omniscient one. The the sovereign over all the universe one looks at your heart and your mind and says, I will stand as a guardian against whatever comes your way. You just don't be anxious. You just entrust yourself to me. And you let, you let me set up the perimeter. You let me be the one to guard against all that. I don't know about you, but I like that scenario. If we are not within the camp, if we, if we are not bringing each other before the Lord, if we're not interceding for each other, if we're not praying for ourselves, and if we're not praying together and making sure that this is happening, then all those family pressures and all those friend pressures and all the, all the pressures of the world through movies and all that kind of stuff and all the comparison, all that junk, is, it's, just, it's going to muddle everything up. Next thing you know, there's, there is no joy There is no big-heartedness being shown anywhere, and there's anxiety all over the place. When the whole time Jesus is saying, I'll guard your heart. Just just let me. 
not because we're all powerful or anything like that. That's the way he set it up. You entrust yourself to me, everything will be fine. Last part. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Sounds like Jesus to me. It doesn't sound like a lot of the movies that we watch, does it? Doesn't sound like a lot of the websites that we visit. Doesn't sound like uh, sometimes the conversations that we have, the advice that we give each other. Doesn't really sound like a lot of the times the encouragement that's offered. It doesn't sound like at all the way that the world functions. It needs to sound like the way our camp functions. We need to be able to say, man, the people that God has put me in community with, they help me to do that. They help me to stop watching stupid stuff and listening to stupid advice and stop like ingesting all these lies and everything. They help me to stop being anxious, to entrust myself to him. They help me live in a place where I know Jesus is the sentinel that completely has me hemmed in. That's what the unmarried people in our camp need from the married people. We need you to help us do that. That's what the married people need to be doing, I mean the uh, single people need to be doing for each other, is that. That's what everybody in our camp needs to be doing for everybody else. Last verse, he says this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. God of peace will be with you. The fabric of everything together, just as God intended, will not be ripped. It won't have holes in it. It will be that shalom will be just like it's supposed to be. So, um, there it is. If you are single and you're struggling with it right now, then I hope this has been helpful to you. If you're single and you're not struggling with it right now, um, there, the enemy is going to try and mess with you at some point. Keep this in mind. If you are married and you have forgotten what it's like to be single, uh, pretend. And help us, all right? I'm not here pouting and be like, look at all the pressures we're under, because you're under pressures too. I mean... In every, like, every sitcom, every uh, romantic comedy that you watch, there are like, all those false narratives and stuff like that. There's always like, somebody who's single. And, and every one of those things, you're, you're, and when you're single, you're single because you're lame. And there's something wrong with you. And so that's a part of the false narrative that we have is like, man, if you're single, then there must be something wrong with you. Well, and at the same time, show me how many healthy marriages have you ever seen in, on TV or in movies? Never. So every single person's lame and every married couple is miserable. So you have your false narratives too. And we understand that. And so we just need to guide each other to the truth. That's why just thinking in terms of our agenda, it's just Jesus. It just makes so much sense. Because he is full of grace, full of truth. And that's what we want to be for each other. So, uh, so how do we end something like this? Do we have an altar call for all the single people lay hands on? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Some are like, that's, that's where he's going with this. That's how this is going to end. Some are like, all my worst nightmares came together on Father's Day, 2011. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Um, I, hope, I hope that you are, I hope that, I hope this has been good. I know, that, like, I know I talk a lot, and I'm going to work on that over the next six weeks. Um, but I don't say that apologetically. Uh, it's just my, I just want to acknowledge the fact. I know I talk sometimes. Um, but... I think that probably the best thing we can do is, is not, not empower relationship status too much. That's why this isn't going to be a six-week series. That's why it's going to be a one-shot deal. And, and only because the Lord, like I really just felt for the last several weeks, He's put it, put it on my heart to do it. Um, we're not going to like separate the camps. We're going to just do one thing as one camp. I think probably the best thing we can do is probably... Focus on what our one agenda is. So we're just going to focus on Jesus for a little while together and let, uh, let the things of earth just kind of grow strangely dim, right? Like the hymn says, in the light of his glory and his grace. Does that sound good? Okay, good. Let's, uh, let's stand up together. Y'all have been sitting for a long time. Let's, uh, 
The band's going to come. Let me just, just pray for us. Maybe just, maybe just ask the Lord to, uh, just to kind of get you to that, get you where you need to be. Of just that, that uh, like what we're going for is Jesus. And as scattered as maybe are, like we can be sometimes, maybe help, ask him just to kind of zero all of us in. Jesus, we thank you that um, that we are not uh, that we're not headed down this path as clueless as we feel sometimes. But you have given us one another. You've given us um, you've given us the scriptures, and both in our relationships and in your word, it's your spirit that makes things connect. And so I pray that, that you would you definitely take what we've walked through in Philippians and help, help us make sense of that. But really just as we sing tonight, just as we close in this way, that, that your spirit would connect us as one, one group. And it doesn't matter if we have people in here who don't go to this church or are with us for the first time, whatever. That's, that doesn't matter. Because that one camp mentality, that's, that's every believer all over the planet all throughout time. We're, we're one. And we're all after one thing, and that is you. And so I pray that just as we sing, maybe something would just maybe click for us. That some of the the, the lies that we've bought into or the, the things that we've looked to for joy, whatever, whatever it looks like, that we would just align with you. And we'd recognize that that you are what we're after. We're not even after contentment. We're after we're after you. That our our goal, the thing that we put in front of us that we are reaching for is always you. And we love the fact that you are the the object and the source of our joy because it's never fake and it never runs out. May we just build on you and who you are and what you've done. And we just we see your love for us expressed through what you did for us on the cross. I pray that you would just use this, use this time, however you see fit.